This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. One of our all-time favorite guests is back with us today. I am so glad to welcome Jim Semivan back to Dreamland. We had a wonderful interview last year, and I thought to myself, one of the first guests I want back in 2024, Dreamland's 25th anniversary on the air, if you can believe it. And I still have hair. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, 25th anniversary year is Jim Semivan. To those few of you who don't know who Jim is, Jim was an operations officer in the Central Intelligence Agency for a significant number of years, 30 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. and is one of the founding members of To The Stars and is a generally remarkable man with a whole lot of knowledge about the very subject that we are all so interested in, which is the close encounter phenomenon, disclosure, and where this is all going. And is it always going to be going in directions that we want it to go? Jim, welcome to Dreamland. Oh, thank you so much, Whitley. It's just wonderful to see you again and to, and to chat with you again and to chat with your listeners. Um, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I absolutely loved your book, Them. And um, uh, I, I just think it was extraordinary. I, th- I consider it probably one of the best analyses of the phenomenon in the UAP situation out there today. So congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. I'm hard at work on another book. Um, I'm going to nail these guys to the wall. We, <laughs> we got it. We got to. We've got to be able to hold our own here, and that's not necessarily going to be that easy. Yeah. And so let's kind of lead into that by talking about this process that's going on within the United States government. Uh, on various levels. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a surface where someone like David Grush uh, g- goes before a congressional, bipartisan congressional committee in a, in a hearing that has gigantic ratings and lays it out saying things such as, we have bodies, we have physical materials, uh, we have worked on this, And there follows a very complex series of events. Where do you think this, it's not clear to me at all that the Defense Department is in concert with any congressional committee that wants full disclosure. Boy, yeah, that's a very good question. Well, as as you know, I mean, let me jump back to when, you know, Chris Mellon and, and Lou Elizondo were, were pushing this this whole idea of um, getting more information on UAPs and the phenomenon with Congress. And then uh, both of them did just a superb job. I, I, you know, I think we owe them quite a bit. We do, boy. I mean, really, really, really do. Uh, you know, and Chris, in particular, later on, I mean, he's been he's been holding their feet to the fire and continue to do so. I, I admire him greatly for that. So what it, you know, what all that, you know, now it wasn't just because too, there are a lot of other people, particularly in the government that really want this out. And these are people in the intelligence community and also in the Department of Defense um, who would like to see this, uh, see the light of day. Uh, that said, um, 
what we have now, you know, is we have the National Defense Authorization Act of 2024, and then we had a whole section uh, written uh, written up uh, on UAPs and the phenomenon in general. And it was very, very thorough. I don't know if you've read it or had a chance to yes, read I it. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's very, very thorough. And then, of course, you had some pushback. And the pushback actually came from a, a couple of members of Congress who were saying, well, wait a minute. Um, uh, we, we, we want to water this down a little bit. And it's essentially what they've done. The Schumer amendment, uh, basically wanted full transparency and, you know, and I think the Schumer amendment covered most, most of the ground that uh, most people would be concerned with if you were in the government. I mean, are we going to protect data and national security interests, things along those lines? I think the Schumer amendment really did a good job of taking all that into consideration, but in the end, and I've, I've, mentioned this to people in Congress, you you have uh, uh, basically what's going on is a, uh, a battle between the executive branch uh, and the government entities that work for the executive branch primarily, and then Congress themselves. Congress has a right to, to oversee anything that where U.S. government funds are being used. The executive branch, on the other hand, is basically saying, look, um, that may be the case and we will advise Congress, but not at the level you want us to advise Congress. So I think what's going on now is there are these legacy programs that are out there. I'm not going to get into where they are located. I do know where they're located and, and you know, and things along those lines. Dave Grush, by the way. Uh, a very, very nice man. Um, uh, he, you should take him and everything he says uh, to the bank. I mean, he's he's not uttered a false word as far as I know. And, um, um, you know, I've got to commend him for, 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 for coming out like this and um, putting his reputation on the line and everything else. Um, but what, what you have really is this, this idea that, and it's not just national security per se, but you have Congress saying, look, we need to know everything about this. And you have the executive branch coming back and saying, well, no, because there are there are other elements of this that you're not aware of that we don't think, um, uh, you know, would be suitable uh, uh, for public disclosure or even for disclosure to most members of Congress. So I think what's happened is in the very beginning, I think what had happened was Eisenhower or maybe Truman, but probably Eisenhower sometime in the early 50s. In other words, to get this whole topic of UFOs and UAPs under control, uh, probably executed a uh, presidential executive action uh, document, uh, which basically um, is pretty interesting. Not many people know about those, um, but the president has rather extraordinary powers. And where under extraordinary circumstances, he can come out and he could basically say, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And this is who we're going to tell. And this is who we're not going to tell. And that's, that's pretty much it. And it has a, a pretty strong legal precedent. Um, then you also have, um, and I think that's what happened. And I think what he did was basically say, I will notify, we'll, we'll make this a, you know, what we now call back in those days, we didn't have that, but we, we now call a, um, uh, a, a wavered, unacknowledged special access program, which basically means that you don't get, nobody gets to know what the hell it is uh, unless um, you're on this bigoted list, this very, very highly restricted list. 
And um, usually that would only include the president and, and probably, well, the president and whoever he, he deems um, uh, necessary for them to know. So I think that's what's what's going on here. And I think Congress wants to know more about it. And I think there are members of Congress who know about this. I think there are probably members of the Gang of Eight, maybe not all of the Gang of Eight uh, who know about this, but I think over the years, the past 80 years, um, that Congress has been informed, but in a very, very limited way. Now, you can make a strong case, I think, by saying that, no, you know, this is something we need to know. You said this in the, in, you know, in, in them, one of the very last things you said, I was thinking on a on, uh, on the last page, uh, uh, well, well, not the last page. So we need to organize a way to find this, organize it and what have you and, and theorize about it. But you also said it was the right, our inalienable right. And I agree with you um, to know about this. But it, again, it, yeah, it's a right, but it may be a rather dangerous one. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, let, let me also add, and, uh, you know, and for your listeners, you know, uh, when you think about this, um, there are national security issues naturally associated with this. Um, and that I, I don't think that's enough not to say, look, we're being visited, you know, or we, we, we have visitors and we're not alone in the universe or other non-human intelligence around. But you have to wonder, um, and I, let me give the government here the, the benefit of the doubt in some respects, why over 80 years, what, what did they know? What did they come across that is so, so problematic that they will not discuss this in any way, shape, or form? Um, that is that's something that I've been thinking about, and I've had other people involved tell me if you only knew the depth and complexity of this, and if you knew, you know, how frightening it is you would understand the government's, you know, reluctance to, to even admit, admit something is, you know, is what, what it's so obvious to all of us is that we're not alone. And um, there are other non-human intelligence that's on this planet. Why? why, why well, it's a, we, it, Jim, it's an ideal point to take a break, which we are supposed to do. Okay. Uh, and so for the, Three listeners, um, we're taking a break, and you're going to see an ad, quite possibly for them, which Jim seems <laughs> to like a good deal. Yes. And uh, uh, for the, our subscribers, always remember to tell your friends about Unknown Country and Dreamland, um, and uh, because it's a very special place. We'll be right back. My new book, Jesus and New Vision, is not a Christian book. It is not an anti-Christian book either, very much not an anti-Christian book. It is new, genuinely new, a look at Jesus in his life and what happened afterwards, his resurrection, for the Shroud of Turin is no medieval forgery. It goes all the way back and it does record an extraordinary event that appears to have been a body transforming into a form of coherent light. The science is very strong at this point. And yet, how could that be? What an extraordinary mystery. 
The life of Jesus is mysterious indeed, but the greater part of the mystery is about us. How is it that a human body could transform in that way? Who accomplished it? Why did it happen? What does it mean to you and me about our lives now? Jesus, a new vision, a new window into a very old way of looking at the truth. A way of finding ourselves, perhaps, that we lost a long time ago, but can recover. Jesus and New Vision is available in Kindle format, as a paperback, in audiobook format on Audible and Apple, and as a Kindle and paperback on Amazon. Do go and get it today. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I work with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started.
We're talking to Jim Semivan, a CIA officer for many years, now a principal in To the Stars, and we're going to talk. Let's talk a little bit about, before we go back, and folks, I'm not going to forget that incredible place we stopped. Don't worry. Uh, before we go back, though, let's talk a little bit about To the Stars and where it is right now and what's going on with it. Well, you know, oh, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, uh, you know, our company's doing rather well. We, you know, uh, we just put out, uh, we had had a script that we turned into a movie called Monsters of California. That's streaming now. You can pick it up on, I think, uh, quite a few streaming services, uh, Netflix, Tubi. I, and I'm not sure if it's on Prime Video, but it probably is. And that did very well. Tom directed it. Um, one of our board directors also helped fund it. Um, we have a, uh, a deal uh, we inked with... Um, last year with um, Legendary Pictures who were taking our Secret Machines trilogy, the, the fiction version, and turning it into a, um, a television series. And that's, we have a writer for that, a very well-known writer whose name I can't say. Uh, and that's coming up. We have a, a couple, we have one biopic of um, uh, Hal Putoff uh, that we've done, and that's that's being worked on now. Probably about a dozen other projects. We have an animated series that was sold to Tubi. Uh, that's in the later stages of development. Uh, so things are going pretty well for us. You know, we turned ourselves into a um, entertainment company uh, a couple of years back because we, we had a research and development arm, and we still have that. Um, but we had to sort of draw that back a little bit for lack of funds uh, when we realize how much money it would actually cost to do the research we want to do. So we haven't given up on that, but we decided we're going to need to get more money in the coffers to, to go back to that. Now we it's also have, hard to get uh, yeah, we're also working with the army futures command and some other elements of the government on some UFO material that we have. And um, that's proven to be, quite interesting. We're, we're waiting for a report to come back from the government on what it actually uh, uh, is and uh, what they think it, it might be. There's always a possibility they may classify it, and there's not much we can do about that. So, But yeah, but Student Tars is going great. Tom Tom DeLong, you know, my partner in, in crime here, he's, he's, he's doing a great <laughs> job, doing a great job. He's, you know, came back from a tour. He's, he's going back out on tour again for another, I think, probably year, and then then we're going to reconcentrate our efforts. So, Well, good. I'm very glad to hear all of that because I think that uh, getting this material out into the public is maybe in some ways even more important than the type of research you're attempting to do. I know from experience how difficult it is to get grant money for this research. I also know of some potential research that could really, really help understand the close encounter material and i'm going to be trying to get funding for that this year too uh basically uh it is to, there's a way of telling using a functional mri scanner the difference between a memory that a person is drawing from actual physical experience and a memory that they have without realizing it and this happens all the time in the human brain confabulated Right. In other words, it's not a lie detector. It's a, it's a, it's a detector basically of the of the uh, origin of memories. Right. And it's I've read some papers on it, and it's working quite well. And I 
I'm hoping that I can raise enough money to be the first close encounter witness subject. I want to be the guinea pig. Wow, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard about that technology that they have now with the fMRIs, and they're able to do that. Certain areas of the brain that actually show you're right. The uh, that was an original experience as opposed to one that was confabulated or you know. Or right, made. I'll send you the paper. Sure, uh, I'd love, I'd love to read. It. Yeah, I'll put a link to it up on on the show as well because it's quite a good paper, and it could help advance this dramatically. The only problem is, and this is a significant one, that there may be confabulation of the results if we don't have the right people doing the testing. Yeah, yeah. And that's sometimes very hard to tell what a person's actual motives are. And in this fraught situation that we're in, you just never know who you may be dealing with. Yeah. In the sense that there are there are substantial parts of uh, the, the whole defense apparatus that does not want this abduction stuff aired out. They don't want it. That's why I'm relatively isolated. Like at the Seoul conference uh, a few weeks ago, I, I was not allowed to speak. I was not invited to speak. And I mean, here were my my co-author Jeffrey Kripal spoke, yeah, um, and all sorts of people I knew. I knew everyone, almost everyone who spoke was a personal friend, but not me. And that was because, uh, and Gary Nolan, who is himself a dear friend, uh, said that you know basically there were people in within the defense community who were at the conference who would not have welcomed uh, uh, anything from a close encounter witness being aired out there. And that's something that we have to get past somehow. Well, yeah, it's interesting you you brought that up. Uh, I was invited to the Soul Conference, but I, I couldn't make it. Um, but but Gary Gary's right. Uh, you know about at least about the idea of the government not wanting mm -hmm. to get into the abduction material uh, or contactee material. Um, you know, it's one of those things that they, you know, they're still struggling right now with with the science behind UAP. So they're into this nuts and bolts stage. And um, but one of the things in the Schumer Amendment, well, actually in the whole NDAA, uh, you can thank Chris Mellon for some of this and Lou Elizondo. They made sure that um, the biological perspective was put in and a psychological perspective was put in. Uh, that too, uh, because that was very, very important. And I think people in government do recognize that, but you can't, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to sell uh, to most people in the government, particularly into bureaucracies, which tend to be rigid. Um, uh, and they're used to, you know, more or less a scientific method, you know, uh, so, and, and this, as you know, doesn't, doesn't fit in. There's, there's no hat to hang on there. I mean, there's no hat rack to hang your hat on there. It's, you don't even know where to put the abduction, uh, you know, a material. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't know how to explain it. The absurdity and complexity of it, as you've pointed out in many of your books. Yes. My God. It's not both in spades. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I understand why. Although I have to tell you, um, within, within that community, uh, in the government community, 
this is not something that goes unnoticed. I mean, it's something that really is forefront. Uh, but once again, they're they're trying to go through this, you know, step by step. And I, I think that's one of the things that the Schumer Amendment really wanted to do and how this was set up that you, you, uh, you know, I, I was in front, I, I, you know, went to see the Senate select committee on intelligence. They invited me back. I haven't gone back. Um, I sort of said, said my piece, but you know, there's this whole idea of, uh, if you're going to have disclosure, you know, you're going to have to go about it methodically. My, that's what they were sort of saying. And that's what many people in the government are saying. My, my point to that is, um, and I said this for USA Today, they quoted me, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I said, look, I said, you can't, the president can't come on national television and say, we're here, uh, you know, with another another species, uh, another non-human intelligence, right. not alone in the universe. You, you, you can't just leave it at that. You, you can't just, uh, you can't just say, and that's all I can tell you. I mean, yeah, well, that would be a thousand questions that'll be begged after that, right? You know, that what would be that? Yeah. a very difficult thing for any president to handle to walk out on uh, at a press conference and say only that, and then walk off the stage. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, that's I think it's going to happen. Yeah, hard to, hard to handle. But as far as the degree to which the abductions are known inside. The, the defense community, which is so huge, there are, you know, we're going to find, I mean, I'm going to be frank, and I, you probably know this too, we're going to find out that we've gone a lot deeper into this than than uh, anyone would like to admit, at least at the present. Now, I, when I say that in regard to the abductions, back in the, in the 80s, back in 86, before communion was even written, a man appeared in our lives, uh, Dr. David Webb. Uh, Dr. Webb, if you look him up, I believe it's David C. Webb on uh, Wikipedia, you will find that he was an advisor to every alphabet agency on the planet and a uh, res very much respected uh, member of NASA. He never... And for a moment, doubted our experiences, and in fact, in, uh, introduced me to an allergist who already knew how to protect us from allergic reactions, which can be extreme, apparently, when you come into close encounter with the visitors. They gave us epinephrine injector, injectors to have in every bedroom so that anyone who was touched by them, if necessary, could use one. And they were, every bedroom had epinephrine, an epinephrine injector in it. And uh, I was given allergy shots for two years. So obviously someone, oh, and when I went back a year later to thank the allergist, whom I only saw one time, and then everything was done by mail after that, including, I, I saw him one time to be taught how to give myself the allergy shots. Then I never saw him again. And when I went back to his office, thinking to thank him for uh, about after the about a year and a half after we started the shots, they'd never heard of him. They didn't know who he was. Really? <laughs> <You know what laughs> <I mean? laughs> so, 
surprise me, or uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise. Of course, me. it doesn't surprise you. You've been CIA for too yeah. long, and so that got to surprise you. But it's funny as hell. Well, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's interesting. I know a lot of people. Uh, I got into a discussion not too long ago with a, uh, some friends of mine, some neighbors here, and they would always say the CIA does this or the CIA does that. You know, and you have to point out, you know, that. The CIA, just like the Department of Defense and every other intelligence agencies, they're large organizations. Yes. And, um, and, you know, if you're looking, particularly in this particular subject, if you're looking about who, looking at who's dealing with this particular subject, these are extremely small niches. That's right. And That's very, right. very small throughout, uh, throughout the intelligence community and the Department of Defense. So... Um, you know, I always made, you know, somebody once asked me, said, well, you know, was there a UFO desk at the agency? Well, there was technically, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Kit ran one, you know, for a while. And and uh, I think Ron Pandolfi, Ron Pandolfi ran it for a while before Kit, after Kit. But there wasn't any place you can go to in the agency where on the door it said, you know, UFO. UFO desk. Desk. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, uh, so everything is... Uh, Anything in the intelligence community is need to know. And uh, right. if you don't have a need to know, you're not going to know. Even the stuff you get on your computer that comes in every day when you would come into the morning, you know, it was if you if you're like me, I was an operations guy. So I had to see everything that was going on in China, you know, terrorism, counterproliferation, Iran, you, you know, it would all come in. But but then there were highly restricted areas that I, I wouldn't get to see. Like um, uh, now I, I worked on high technology things, foreign high technology for a long time. Um, um, so that's when, you know, and it, it was funny to me when, when, when the, the videos came out and people were, <laughs> were saying, Oh, they're this and they're that. And, you know, they're glitches in the, and the radar or they're nonsense. Reflections Just, on the cockpit windows. Yeah, what we think they are—they're—they're they're definitely non-human intelligences coming in, and um, we, not that they, they've seen this before, thousands of times. So it's not surprising. Well, the uh, uh, bottom line with regard to the allergist—he could have been just an ordinary allergist who moved offices, and the new office people—people people in the office—just didn't have any idea who he had, who he was. I don't know, but at the same time. He could have been had some other locomotion, obviously, uh, but he was introduced to me by De Dr. Webb, and I was very grateful for it. And Dr. Webb, David Webb, knew a lot about this whole subject. He was he was it, it, he didn't offer much information, but he was very encouraging about our relationship with the visitors, and he wanted us to continue it. And when it started to get pretty difficult, uh, Anne thought, she said, do you suppose they're sort of using us as a kind of experiment to basically see what happens? What if you get eaten? <laughs> said, well, then I said, yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised at this point because we began to have quite a hard time. Yeah. Um, and it basically was basically we were dealing with a single individual whom I, I think I could safely say fell in love with the family and began to come to the house a lot. Right. And uh, we moved our son to summer camp and something happened at the summer camp 
that made it clear that if we did not bring him back to the house, there was going to be trouble with them. Yeah. And, you know, now this gets me to the darker side of this thing that we just started to touch on before the last break. And now we're going to do another break. And I promise you folks, I swear, we <laughs> will talk about nothing else when we come back. I've been a bad boy. I admit that. We will, I'm not playing games, except to some degree. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful. A subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Okay, Jim, let's get down to the nitty gritty here about the difficulty that this whole phenomenon presents and it it presents it to close in, in the close encounter situation say you may know somebody who's had a, a, a difficult close encounter um someone maybe you whose name you can't reveal and don't reveal the name but can you tell us some give you give us some impressions about what such an encounter might be like? Well, you know, there have been, uh, I've had numerous uh, friends who've had encounters varying types, um, um, you know, from, uh, you know, sort of similar to what I had, you know, where, you know, you're laying in bed at night and all of a sudden uh, <laughs> things happen, you know, and, you know, some entities pop in and uh, not frightening to me, but very upsetting to me in a human rights way. And I, again, I don't want to get, I, I don't, I, I've never really discussed it in detail except in one place. And that was with you and um, a few other people at Esalen a few years back. Yeah. Well, we don't want to, I don't want to, to put you on the spot, but suffice to say that uh, Jim had a difficult experience with uh, his, uh, his person was violated like my person and many, many other persons have been violated. Yeah. Yeah. But the best example and the one I like to use most of the time is is uh, Chris Bledsoe's. Uh, you know, uh, most of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Chris uh, and Chris's story that began in around 2008. And, you know, the uh, what drew, drew me to him and I, I he's we become close friends now. And not only drew me, but it drew NASA and it drew DOD and, you know, and probably every other agency down at one point or another to actually chat with him and chat and talk with him. 
um, about it because there were so many elements in it um, that uh, struck a chord with uh, with everybody. Um, NASA in particular, uh, given Chris's uh, experience with what we call the lady uh, and um, his other experiences um, uh, regarding um, these beings that he saw, uh, you know, they were these translucent beings with the big red eyes and, and what have you. But his experience in general sort of mirrored most uh, of these. He, you know, he he uh, uh, met met these non-human intelligences up close and personal. Um, they passed messages to him. Uh, messages were, you know, well, I mean, you know, this is your burden, you know, the they would hand him a little piece of fuzzy something or rather looked like a ferret or something and say, this is your burden. Very odd stuff. And, you know, Jacques Vallée talks a lot about the complexity and absurdity of all this stuff where you, 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 you get a situation, even with me is one of the reasons I don't like talking about it is because it's, it's so damn absurd. I mean, you know, how do you make sense of all this? How do you explain it in any sort of way? Uh, without people well, notice this. well, you know, this, I mean, this is, this is your, <laughs> Your experience to the T, but what it what it all comes down to is, to me is, um, you know, if you talk to a quantum physicist, and a quantum physicist will tell you, look, you know, no matter what anybody else says, a lot of a lot of physicists are very very uncomfortable with the fact that quantum physics basically said we're all just energy patterns, we're all just here. I mean, we're just here, a bunch of mass of spinning atoms and electrons and photons and quarks. And then when you look even deeper and deeper and deeper, you don't see very much, much else. So, uh, you know, is matter, you know, really an illusion? And the answer, if you're a quantum physicist, is indeed it is. Um, and, and that we are all, all are illusions to a certain extent. I don't know how this consensus reality that we see works, but we seem to be creating our own reality all the time as we go along, these little microseconds of time. So the point is, to me, is when you're dealing like with what you had, uh, you're trying to explain something that's probably happening on a, a level that is so different than ours um, and so removed from, from ours, but we're part of it, but we just can't see it because we're blinkered. I mean, we, we could only see so much, smell so much, hear so much. Our senses are, are very, very limited. And I'm sure these these others are sort of looking down at us and going like, my God, they're living, you know, like little. And you pointed this out numerous times in your books. You know, we're living like li these little animals, like ants or cats or, right. dogs or insects. We can't see anything. Running around in our little burrows without any idea of the bigger world we live in. Right, exactly. And uh, but getting back to the the original question, and I'm sorry I digressed there for a minute, but the reason I brought that up was because if if indeed we are dealing with a presence that has the ability to operate, which I believe it does, in uh, in a time-space continuum that's different than ours or dimensions that are different than ours, they could bleed in and out, and they're basically playing games with us. Well, then we have a whole, we have a whole other kettle of fish here because are they... Are they, are they, you know, let me speak, you know, from, from a human sense, we always want to judge. I mean, are they good or are they bad? Well, what if there isn't good or bad? What if there is, they don't recognize good or bad. They don't recognize anything. They just do what they want to do. There is this trickster element to all of this. 
which is very disconcerting. Um, yes. it lies to people. It's deceitful. Um, uh, it never really explained itself. I think in them, you pointed out, there's never been one, one instance where one of these non-human intelligence ever sat down at a table, you know, across them, it's like you or me or somebody else and said, no. okay, here it tells what happened, right? And let me explain it to you in your terms, what's going on. That's just doesn't happen. Um, but you know, I, I think it could happen because some of the, especially the little gray people are very physical, at least at times. Right. And, and this is something that's hardly ever discussed. There are people, and I'm personally convinced of this, there are human beings who are somehow or another connected with them in a way that you and I aren't. Uh, well, I could be, but I don't think you are. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the stories in them is, is a by a sent to me by a young guy who was um, uh, on station, I believe, in Germany. And he met this girl that he was just crazy about. He, and she reciprocated to his amazement. And they became friends. And it built gradually until finally they made love with one another. And it was a wonderful experience for him. He thought he'd found his wife. And the next thing he knew, she cut him off, wouldn't talk to him anymore. And then she told him to come down to her apartment. And she said, you're not going to see ever see me again after tonight. And whereupon he slowly turned into, before his eyes, sitting across the room from him, just a few feet away, a gray, and then turned back into her human form. And he was left thinking, my God, I gave an alien a baby. That was all it was about. Mm -hmm. Now, you'd think that this has to be impossible. It can't be true. I mean, what? how could that work? I mean, someone from another world, the DNA, the match of a, it, it's all crazy. It just doesn't seem possible. Yeah. But what if it is? Yeah. Well, I and, think, yeah. Go ahead. No, and maybe someone inside this deeply layered place that we call the defense community knows this. Yes, they do. And uh, I can tell you they do, um, as a matter of fact. The problem with that is we're our science, and we don't have a science of the soul, as you, you once mentioned, too. Um, we don't have that. And I think when you look at our scientific model, at the paradigm that we use, it's just wholly inadequate to study this subject. And um, uh, I know you and Jeffrey uh, Kripal, you know, mentioned, I don't know which one it was in one of your books, I think Supernatural, where you mentioned William James's version of a radical empiricism, you know, a new model of science where you would look at the, you know, the things that are, uh, you know, anomalous and strange and, and then allow that in and then figure out a way to, to, to you know, to research it and what have you. That, that isn't going on. It's going on, you know, in little, little areas of places. But, you know, one of the things that stopped funding for this um, years back um, in this, probably I would say from the late 60s until 
uh, probably even the early 2000s, um, um, well, there were two things. One is when you were throwing money at a problem, the government has limited amount of funds. So you're going to go after what's the most important thing on your priority list. And it's always going to be terrorism or Russia or China or what have you. And then you're going to look at these other things like UAP and say, well, doesn't pose an immediate threat to us um, and hasn't posed one to us. And it's one of these things that we don't really understand and we don't have the science to understand. Are we going to throw $100 million at this? Um, because we've tried over the years and can't come up with anything. So that's that's one thing where you say like, well, okay, the funding, maybe we're not going to give that UAP stuff too much, too much more. Well, focus on the national security. Can we extrapolate data from the downcraft and what have you? Yeah, that's I can see that happening. But the other problem was, um, you know, a lot of people uh, thought this was a demonic uh, 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 force that somehow yes. uh, we were dealing with and that it wasn't very smart uh, of us to, uh, you know, going throwing a lot of money at something which really could have been, you know, just uh, not necessarily evil, but sometimes what's worse than evil is indifference, right? Uh, right. That's its own form of evil. And, and we, we've never really experienced, um, I don't think, um, a, a positive side to this outside of the fact that you can point to some people like, you know, Chris, Chris Bledsoe, you know, who's no, just going to get life around. I mean, it's just, he's become a healer. What a wonderful man. And, um, he, you know, and, and it happens to a lot of people too, with these experiences, they become very, very different people, good people, uh, more interested in, in, in things, but by the same token, um, that didn't have any effect on me. Uh, not that way. I mean, I was always that way. At least I hope I thought I was. But it did it did uh, make me realize and understand that there are forces out there which we don't know much about. Uh, um, and that scares me. Uh, doesn't scare me to the point that I stop living my life. But it gives me great pause when people will say to me, well, Let's uh, let's, you know, let's get the Ouija board out and do this or let's let's, uh, you know, make contact or try to make contact. Well, OK, but I always say go to that and yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. But if you want to go into it, please go in. But make sure you're well tethered to the ground, uh, you know, uh, psychologically, number one. And, and number two, you have a backup plan um, <laughs> because, you know, remember John Keel made that famous statement. I think it was in. Um, um, uh, Disneyland of the Gods, uh, which I think he really came out of that in the eighth tower where he basically said, look, this is all to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's all a big cosmic put on, you know, it's just a joke. And, um, and these things, basically this, this phenomena isn't really a, a healthy partner. It isn't some, it isn't something that's going to, it's giving you anything that's nurturing you in any way or explaining itself in any way or making things better for you. So I don't know. I mean, you could, you could look at it both ways. I'm sure I, I don't want to be narrow minded about it, but um, um, I just very cautious about it. Some of my friends are not cautious. You know, Chris Mellon and I always talked about, you know, a few years ago, we had a really interesting conversation you know, did we open up Pandora's box? And when we brought this out from the government, you know, and, and the answer, I think, is still up in the air. But his point was to me, and I think to you, uh, your point, and and I, I and I have to agree uh, that this has to come out. It's ridiculous. 
I mean, it's ridiculous that we're not discussing this. Well, just a minute. I'm making a note here. The note says Pandora's box. Yes. And the reason I made that note is that we are coming to the end of the free part of the show. And I would like to thank all of my free listeners for spending some time with us. And I hope you spend more time with us over the the 25th anniversary year of Dreamland. I can't quit talking about it because I can't believe that in 25 years, I looked and I have missed only about 10 Dreamlands in 25 years. And I, I couldn't believe that I'd done that much. And it's all available, by the way, folks, on unknowncountry.com, at least going back to 2004 and a few shows from before then a vast trove of remarkable information. And now, subscribers, we're going on to Pandora's box. We're not going to open it. Don't worry. We're just going to fool with the lock a little bit. <laughs> Thank you very much, Free Dreamlanders, for being with me and Jim. And it's, go to uh, uh, streaming and watch the California... What's it called? California, uh, Monsters of California. That's Monsters right. of California. Yeah. yeah, watch Monsters of California for sure, and keep your eye peeled for more stuff from To the Stars because they're they're rocking and rolling, and it's going to be very exciting. Yes, thank you. thank you, everybody. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>